Hello everyone, this is Jacob here, also known as Big Yellow Praxis, here with another episode about underrated music, a podcast where we talk about underrated music. Really quite straightforward. Um, I talk about all kinds of music, progressive rock, pop, folk, funk, blues, a bunch of stuff. Um, and I introduce people to new music and they introduce me to music and we talk about it. It's, yeah, nice and straightforward, I think. Anyway, this week I'm joined by my friend James, who has been on a few times previously and is here again. Do you want to say hello? Hi, uh, I'm James. You can find me on Twitter at Sunderlorn. That's S-U-N-D-E-R-L-O-R-N. Um, I'm a friend of Jacob's, quite an old friend, and the sort of defining feature or one of the defining features of our friendship has always been talking shit for far too long about music and other pieces of of culture and media, whether that's you know film or literature or what have you, um, until other people tell us to shut up. There's no one else here at the moment, so we can go far too far. Yes, we can. And, and subject you to it. And that's that's why we we record it. And so you know, if you if you need to skip forward, that's fine. If you know, but you will you not want miss to. Much. You won't. <laughs> and I was going to go the opposite way. You will not want to miss <laughs> this episode, James. Come on, you got to think. I need to promote I myself here. Don't confidence. tell them. Don't tell them they're not going to miss much. <laughs> um, yeah, this week the we are talking about Jim Steinman, who died a few weeks ago. Um, R.I.P. in peace. And he, well, he's. We'll get to it, but he's someone I'm a big fan of generally, and he's interesting. Let's say he's interesting. He was he's like a unique, a unique sort of giant of 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 popular pop music. music. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think there's anyone else really who who did what he did or did it as hard or as big as he did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that is a perfect summation, I think, of the things he did. So we're, we're going to talk about four songs which cover a relatively broad range of the things he did. So there's some, obviously, Meatloaf in there, some Bonnie Tyler. There's uh, a solo song by him that he's actually singing on. And then his, some, some of his production work with the Sisters of Mercy. So there's four songs. We'll go through them bit by bit. But first, we may as well have like a general conversation, which we've gently touched on um, so far, which is... I mean, do we... Do... I don't think we need to introduce him much to people who are listening. It's J- Jim Steinman. He was like an he actor. He has a Wikipedia page. He has a Wikipedia page. Like He was an actor and kind of stage director, as far as I know, before he kind of went into music. Um, and it shows. And it shows. Yeah, yeah. So everyone knows Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell. It's very... What would you call... What's the best word to kind of sum that style up? It's it's not operatic in terms of how it sounds, but it's operatic in terms of like its scope yes. and the the level of uh, dramatic and ridiculous and mm-hmm. extra that it allows itself to be. Um, it's not uh, it's not baroque in terms of its aesthetics, but it's baroque in terms of the extent to which it's flinging everything, including the kitchen sink um at uh at the recording um like i think there tends to be a lot of a lot of layers to to jim steinman's production and songs in general i can't remember who it was um that said 
was it Coco Chanel who said that like the key to putting a good outfit together is looking in the mirror before you go out and taking one thing off. Jim Steinman does the opposite of that consistently. Right, yes, I think yeah, that's yeah. like his leading motif. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's a really nice analogy. Yeah, yeah. I, I did read um on that note. There's um I think there was one of the executives at CBS who were the record juice the record company for the Meatloaf albums. He said to uh, Jim Steinman. Do you even know how to write a song? Do you know anything about writing? If you're going to write for records, it goes like this. A, B, C, B, C, C. I don't know what you're doing. You're doing A, D, F, G, B, D, C. You don't know how to write a song. Have you ever listened to pop music? Have you ever heard any rock and roll music? You should go downstairs when you leave here and buy some rock and roll records. Which... At which point Jim Seinman looked at the camera like Isildur in Mount Doom and said, no. <laughs> no. It's one of those things where you read something like that, and obviously I totally disagree with the spirit of what he's saying, in that he clearly knows mm. how to write a, re a rock record. But I totally get what he's saying. Like, he's not wrong. There, there is a ridiculousness, not just to the layers, but to the parts. It's not like yeah. verse, chorus, verse, chorus to a lot of his music. There's, there's, a, there's a kind of wider like bigger trajectory to the songs which is the kind of operatic part so i've also yeah it wasn't until very recently that i realized there is specifically a wikipedia page called wagnerian rock and it's it really just says jim steinman i mean that's pretty much all that's on there like phil specter is mentioned on there which and i think there's a relationship mm -hmm. between like phil specter's music and jim steinman's but I, I think yeah, in terms of like maximalism, that makes sense. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think it's that kind of like wall of sound production is yeah. there a bit. But um, yeah, it's still the spirit of it is very different, isn't it? So I think I always find like the general aesthetic of Jim Steinman's stuff, it's particularly with Meatloaf, mm. is it's American Gothic, but not in a kind of 19th century or like southern gothic way it's more mm. like it's not a southern gothic of new england or of the south it's a southern goth gothic of um you know uh, americana of the americana 50s. but it, it's even it's americana gothic yeah can we say that can we use that yeah i think we can but even then it's a specific kind of americana it feels to me it's more like 50s and like burger hmm. joints and like stale coffee i don't know like these are the things that come to mind particularly for meatloaf and it's yeah yeah and it's it, it all seems to inhabit the same kind of world which is one might call it campy i would call it campy but that's not an insult that's that's definitely not an insult um it, yeah it's ridiculous extra so extra is the word you used before and i'm yeah, so glad extra that... maximalist say campy if you mean it in a a sort of positive, deliberate sense, because mm -hmm. clearly he's not trying to shrink from that. Mm -hmm. At no point can you accuse Jim Steinman of trying to be subtle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I totally agree. Um, and it's it's interesting. So I, I did, I've, I've done a bit of reading around Jim Steinman, you know, how other artists say it, what, what, what it's like to work with him and things like that. And it does seem to, so this is the kind of central part of it, which is part of the ridiculousness, is, is like how self-aware do we think he was at points? Do we... mm. I so I, I think I specifically read, uh, yeah, yeah. So Todd Rundgren, who is um, Dolph Lundgren's uh, long lost brother, he's not. <laughs> he's not. It's just the names always confuse me. 
he uh, so he was like a record producer and he's like an artist who I don't necessarily think is brilliant in and of himself, but he's a brilliant producer and he does mm. tons of stuff. Um, and he's yeah, he does a lot of the guitar playing on these albums and produces them and stuff like that. He said uh, when he first started working on it, he thought it was all this meatloaf music was a parody of Springsteen. Um, and he was just like, I have to do this album. It's just like so out there. Um, and Todd Rundgren clearly thought it was parodic in some way. And I never got the right. I personally never thought Meatloaf and uh, Jim Steinman's wider work was parodic. But yeah, do you, do you know what I'm getting at here? I'm mm. kind of waffling, but there's a ridiculousness at the center of it all. Yeah, like pastiche maybe but not parody yeah like i i think it is it definitely allows itself to not be serious mm -hmm. and to not have to be uh subtle or sort of high culture mm -hmm. rather it kind of glories in being about as low culture as it gets like in terms of that kind of americana camp in yes, terms yes. of how how like enormously sincere it is mm -hmm. i don't know like i think i think there is something to be said for the direction that we're both heading with saying what we're saying on this which is that it's really hard to tell with jim steinman whether he was the most sincere or the most ironic artist mm -hmm. that ever lived like was he was he a deeply serious person to have ever yes. made music or yeah. was he you know working on on six different layers of irony so thick that you can't yeah. actually quite tell anymore because it gets a bit too murky over there yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. but that's kind of part of the fun of it we should move on to the songs because we, we can actually explore these ideas more specifically mm. through the song so the first one is the easy the easy choice, which is just Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell from 1977. I mean, this is one of the most famous, best-selling albums of all time. You know, you hear all these insane facts like it was in the charts for like 20 years or something. I don't even know what the exact fact is, but there's all these, you know, it just it's just sold tens of millions and consistently doing well for, for decades it, it's insane um I, this is it was one of the first like big music videos as well wasn't it yes back uh, in the sort of early days of mtv and things mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think a lot of the the jim steinman stuff well that he did generally obviously there's always a key like visual aesthetic to it all um maybe mm. there isn't a single like i shouldn't say that sorry there isn't a key visual aesthetic, but the visual aesthetics are always a key part of it. That's probably a better way to phrase it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they I think all of these songs arguably have quite different um, visual aesthetics as like keystones to them, but they're all very central. And whether it comes through in like uh, a music video or whether it's just from the, the album art or whether it's just kind of evoked by by the lyrics and the sound and the kind of points of reference that both of them uh, draw quite heavily and obviously on, uh, it's, it's always pretty central. 
Um, and, you know, I, I definitely intend to talk about that a little bit as we go forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure by the sound of it, you do as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah we definitely should. But for, for now, like, the, we'll just talk about the song, Battle of Hell, very concretely. I, in a way, I'm going to struggle saying anything that isn't just, I absolutely love this song. I always have. I remember, I, I, do I remember the specifically first time I ever listened to this song? Maybe not. But I remember listening to it and, like, first becoming properly aware of this song because it was on... I don't know, some kind of compilation CD that my mum had lying around or something like that. And just hearing it and thinking, yes! <laughs> it's just... Yes! <laughs> it's, so it is an absolute epic of a song at 9 minutes 50. Um, and it is, it's, it's kind of ineffable in a ridiculous way, isn't it? Because, I mean, everyone will have heard it. So I don't know what I can almost say new about it, but it's, I think the, I don't know. I don't even know where to start, James. Help me here. Help me here. <laughs> right. I think if I had to sum it up to someone who had just listened to it and was lost for words, or someone who, I don't know, was cursed to never be able to listen to it, <laughs> and I had to express it to them in, you know, in brief, I would say basically it's, the biggest, stupidest, most exciting, dumbest, great big fucking himbo of a song you ever heard, right? <laughs> yeah. And it wants you to know that about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, to, you know, to the extent, as, as you said, it almost feels stupid to talk about it in depth because at the end of the day, this is almost all you need to say, you need to say about it. Yes, yeah, but, yeah. like, what, what is... Okay, we talked about the, the kind of central aesthetic here right mm -hmm. which is which is central to to all jim steinman songs each in their own way what would you say is the one here um well this is this is like ugh, i'm not sure if this specifically answers answers the question but this is like 50s biker gang gothic mm. right that, that's just yeah it's 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 not hot rods because it's not specifically saying that, but it, it they're the they're, it's all part of the family. It's like hot rods and like Harley Davidson and biker greasers. gangs. What was that? Like biker greasers. Yeah, yeah, I like guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's operatic and gothic and very difficult to work out how serious it is. I don't know. I'm just repeating myself here. What, do you know what I mean? It's I really yeah. struggle. I even struggle just to say what I like about this song, other than look, just listen to it. Just listen to it. You know, it's just, just mm. it should be self-evident. But um, it's uh, uh, kind of like um, it's it's central aesthetic and its central vibe is almost kind of a case study in being the coolest song and the coolest story that you've ever heard if your idea of cool is extremely specific right yes, i.e no, yeah. like you know it's, it's the coolest fucking piece of media that humanity has ever created if your idea of cool is like that cards against humanity card which is like a man who is so cool that he wears leather and rides a motorcycle <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah no okay yeah that's a good point because I'm and cannot actually... be pinned down <laughs> so this is something I wanted to say before when you were talking about like uh, it's very it's reveling in how low culture it is in a way mm. and it's very 
unserious in a sense, but I totally agree. Like, this is the coolest thing ever if you're incredibly uncool. Like, if, if Which you is... were, yeah, oh, I'll get a leather duster and, you know, like, have. Do you, do you, drag, Push around corners. Yeah, I think for someone of our age, it's probably more like someone who's trying to be Neo from The Matrix. Like, mm. it's just, oh, this is very cool. Or, like, a. You know what do they call them? Like a mall samurai? Is that what they call them? Mall, mall ninja. ninja. A mall ninja. Like it. The... A mall samurai is a whole different thing, and I want to find out more about who that would apply to. <laughs> um, I think each generation has like a different version of it, but yeah. I feel like the leather duster is always part of it. Um, <laughs> but it, what I find interesting about you know the kind of low culture, high culture thing is that high culture, high culture in like air, air quotes isn't necessarily any more serious or less ridiculous or do you know what I mean it yeah i think if anything rather than saying this is a song that or like jim steinman is a, a songwriter who revels in low culture and is very unserious but takes it and does it seriously unserious i think he's he's the best case one of the best cases in pop music for just completely showing the false dichotomy of serious and unserious music and mm. high and low because he is simultaneously all of these antonyms, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I think if you if you try and kind of get someone briefly and by surprise to define like what marks out works of high cultural value to them, they'll probably start talking about things like complexity mm -hmm. and, and difficulty. And Jim Steinman is really complex, but he's also not at all difficult. I think yes. that's like yeah, yeah. the sort of key key contrast of like high and low that he's he's dealing with. I think partly, but like, what is so? What is um? It's I guess you're getting at like um, lyrical mm. or narrative complexity, um, and part of that is quite often ambiguity. Like, there's no real, there's no interpretive work to be done with this song. Put it like that. Is that partly what you're getting at? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit out of my depth here in that I'm actually talking about kind of um, production and structure mm -hmm. and and instrumentation and things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, like, yeah, ly lyrically, it's um, it's very simple, but at the same time, really vague and mm -hmm. a bit all over the place. And that's kind of a, a running theme throughout all of yes. the songs that I think we're going to talk yeah. about. And in one case, at least, that's, you know, um, that's the fault of a completely different lyricist. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know, did Jim Steinman actually do his own lyrics or was he just a composer? No, no, he did the lyrics. Yes, he did. Yeah. Okay. So, but... so musically, a lot of the music, like he, I think as far as I know, he would have written out like the basic chords and the basic uh -huh. structure. But a lot of that music was filled in by Todd Rundgren, who is, right. I, I always see like he's a, he's a, and I don't say this disparagingly, but just kind of to be specific, he's highly, highly competent and a very good producer mm. and player. And he's, he's, you know, he's a good vocalist. But as a songwriter, when, when I've heard his stuff, he always feels like he's just copying other people very, very competently. Mm -hmm. um, but as a producer, I th he, does, so he fills in a lot of the music. Like, I don't think to um, Jim Steinman is saying, oh, then we have a guitar solo here and I've, I've you know, notated it for you. I think it's mostly right. Todd Rundgren doing a lot of those things and helping him with the music side of it. Um, but yeah, I was okay, so I do agree with you. So the music, I totally get what you mean. And um, it is, 
so harmonically, like the chords, the chord progressions within it and stuff like that are, are mostly pretty straightforward. There's no kind of, I don't know, kind of Paul McCartney or Steve Wondery kind of weird key changes for the most part. There's the odd one in Jim Steinman, but then he's not. I think you're right. There's there's a there's a simplicity to it that is just kind of dialed up to eleven, and but I would say structurally, structurally, I do think something like Battle of Hell is quite complex because it mm. it isn't just that A B C you know chorus versus chorus. Um, it bridges on bridges. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, yeah, I I do actually I think I I do generally agree because and I think this is this is a good point. We've talked about it briefly, not in this podcast, but before about like Jim Steinman's relationship with progressive rock. Um, mm. And I think in terms of form and structure of his songs, it shares a lot with progressive rock in that they're, you know, long form songs that don't just go first chorus. Yeah. But then what he doesn't do is like crazy weird time signatures and weird scales and like alien noises. It's really just, yeah, it's almost like Chuck Berry rock and roll. Yeah. Opera. <laughs> and in terms of like um, the, the progression as in from point a to point b not in terms of like what is progressive about progressive rock mm-hmm. um it's it's not kind of ambitious or strange in scope like for example the songs that we talk about by van de graaf generator in the past yes yeah. instead um it's uh it's it's more like i think this is another point at which that kind of low culture or or like schlockiness um comes in where like these aren't songs that are trying to work like a novel or an essay these are songs that are trying to work like an entire like broadway musical in one song Mm -hmm. yes yeah 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 yeah. no no yeah i totally agree it just reminds me that there is a there is a quote from a critic. I don't usually do this in this podcast, but so, sometimes you just read quotes and that you know from mm. a critic, and it's just perfect. Um, and th- I thought this was great. I don't know who said it. I just I just found it on Wikipedia. But he called "Bat Out of Hell" epic, gothic, operatic, and silly, and it's appealing because of all of this. And he's like, "Yeah, so far, yeah, yeah I do agree." Yeah. Uh, he called Jim Steinman a composer without peer, simply because no one else wanted to make music like this. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's basically what um what we were getting at in the beginning, yeah. right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. no one else does this thing. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, that there's something to be said for how he's like winning the fucking gold medal every fucking time because no one else is competing. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, he doesn't slip into complacency yes, as yeah. a result of that. Yeah. You know, he yes. is constantly striving to do the biggest and the most um, sort of maximalist, enormous, effort-intensive version of the thing that only he does yes, every yeah. single time he sets out. Yeah, yeah. I really like music that either does something the best, does it first, or just does something completely different, so completely unique. Hmm. So by virtue <laughs> of doing... all the fucking boxes. Well, in a way, yeah. But, I mean, by virtue of doing something totally different to everyone else, you're automatically doing it the best, in a way. But this is... That's, that's kind of... And the, the first. The, yeah, yeah. He's kind of the category that... He, for me, that's the category he fits into, which is like... The, the, if, if you're in for that vibe, if you like that vibe, I like that vibe, then you, there's literally nowhere else to go for it. So yeah. that's why he's always... <laughs> he's always, like, a valid artist to me, no matter how ridiculous yeah. it is. Uh, so before we move on to the next song, we may as well talk about the lyrics a bit because 
I, I gather you have a lot of interesting things to say. Again, I don't feel like I necessarily do, but we'll, we'll bounce off each other. Let's see where it goes. Right. So I started out very much occupying the kind of space that you seem to be on at the moment, which is like, where do you even begin? What is there to say? Yeah. Um, because, you know, they're not opaque, but they are really simple mm -hmm. um, and seem kind of not to go anywhere. But me being me and feeling kind of grumpy about being in this situation where it's like, fuck, I don't have that much to say. I, I did a little bit of a deep dive. Mm -hmm. um, I know we both love that phrase. Um, and <laughs> yep. tried to kind of figure out what the lyrics are actually doing. Mm -hmm. um, and like, yeah, this, this was really like the first time I ever really went out of my way to, to listen to the lyrics as lyrics rather than like learning them so I could sing them slightly drunk at 2am. <laughs> um, and like, I kind of realized that all of the kind of it's our one night together passion that the song really revolves around mm -hmm. is completely contingent on this kind of as a duster guy rebel without a cause that meatloaf is is singing the part of mm -hmm. choosing to be gone in the fucking morning oh, really? um, okay yeah I yeah you. like you know it's it's not sort of um imposed upon them by external forces or whatever mm -hmm. It just is him going like, right, you know, um, this is our first and our last night together. I'm going to be gone. The, like, alas, I must hit the road. Uh, we must part because my fucking motorbike calls to me. <laughs> um, and like, I think that in itself is, is not that interesting. But what is interesting is that, yes, every single chorus starts out with... Um, you know, that I'm going to be gone in the morning thing. Mm -hmm. But then every single chorus with a caveat ends on um, that line, like a sinner before the gates of heaven, I'll come crawling on back to you, like a mm -hmm. motif. And yes, so yes. the chorus, every time it comes around, almost mirrors that. It's like um, a couple who have found... I don't know, like the perfect recipe for a good relationship or just good sex is having an infinite number of first and last nights together yes, yes. instead of just having nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like what I thought was that maybe there's kind of something in that about Jim Steinman's whole musical philosophy, because he's, he's not really an album guy, is he? And yeah. while he's clearly really interested in these like structures and trajectories and, and kind of narratives in his songs, but like narratives in the way that musicals have, not narratives in the way that, um, you know, novels have or films mm. have. Um, it's, he, he does that within songs, not within albums, say. Mm. So like, yeah, I think there's something to be said for just every, every, every night being a standalone yes. um and every song just being a hit that is completely unique yeah, yeah. and yet completely indistinguishable from his other work <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and i feel like he is he is like fractally that like mm. if you take yeah, his songs, yeah, yeah. if you take them line by line every single line is just you, well 
you could call it a cliche. Some of them aren't necessarily technically cliches, but every single line is a symbol. Let's take it just in Battle of Hell, is a signifier of that kind of extra gothic over the topness. Uh, so if yeah. if, you, if we go through them just from the first line, the silence is screaming and the fires are howling. It's like that. Okay, yep, great. Massively over the top, very extra. Uh, way down in the valley tonight. Even just that line by itself is like, you know, down in the valley. You're thinking of, I don't know, I think of like Christianity and that kind of in the valley. Um, or like, you know, down in the valley to pray. There's all these kind of like American gospel songs about down the valley. Uh, there's a man in the shadows with a gun in his eye. It's just like, what What does that mean? It's, it's just, such a good turn of phrase, though. It, it like, is, unexpectedly. Yeah, yeah. There's a blade shining oh so bright. You know, we're back to the mall ninja. Um, <laughs> there's evil in the air. There's thunder in the sky. Okay. Killers on the bloodshot streets. Okay. Down in the tunnels where the deadly are rising. It, I mean, every single line just layers it on. There is not a single yeah. line that doesn't, like, pick it up and run an extra few steps. That's yeah. what every line is designed to do. Um, to, be, to be an asshole for a second, like, are, you, yeah. are you aware of the term like impasto when it comes to painting? No, I don't think so. So impasto is like, you know, this, this might actually be me oversimplifying things slightly, but impasto is using really thick paint. Right, um, right, right. <laughs> such that the, the thickness and the layering becomes texture and the texture uh, does things to the way in which like light plays on the surface obviously because it's no longer 2D mm -hmm. um, but it's also kind of um, it usually is implicative or, or seen as kind of representative of um, either a kind of like energy and gesturality because you can see brush strokes more clearly mm -hmm. so there's literally like a kind of signature like quality to uh, the way in which the canvas records that, but also it's just kind of excess because oil paint's fucking expensive mm -hmm. um, yeah. and was especially like up until, you know, um, Impressionism, like late 19th century, mm -hmm. uh, which is when impasto really started picking up, funnily enough. Um, right. And I feel like that kind of layering and layering and really, really layering it on thick is like lyrical impasto, aesthetic impasto on uh, yes. on gins. No, no, I think I think I think that's a great analogy, actually, and I, I think musically he does that as well. But I think this is a good point because it, it's linked. If we move on to the next next song, which is um, "Bad for Good" by Jim Steinman uh, off his album "Bad for Good," um, and I think this is a few years after "Battle of Hell," like '81, I think it was. And this song is, I mean, it's doing the same thing. It's just laying it on so thick. And you just know, this is when you listen to it, you just know that he just, he just said like bad for good or this idea of that lyric came into his head and he built the song around it. You can just tell that he must do that a lot because there are so many songs where it's just like a little turn of phrase and, you know, I'm going to build a whole song and a whole mini narrative. Yeah. And every line is going to take the last line one step further into ridiculousness. And um, so my, 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 my question for this song is, because it's a bit different for, for the other songs where he's not singing, mm. do you think this is a successful song or not? 
Okay, short answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And I think the why is almost contingent on, you know, uh, I actually listened to this one third. Um, so after um, yes. Total Eclipse of the Heart as well. Um, and what really struck me about it was, you know, you know me, I'm a, I'm a big like um, vocals and rhythms guy because I, I don't understand a lot about much else. Um, but so I, I focused on, on the lyrics and, mm-hmm. and the vocal performance in this. And coming after Meatloaf and Bonnie Tyler, who both have, you know, if not necessarily objectively the greatest voices in, in pop and rock music, although I feel like for, for Bonnie Tyler, you can definitely say that she's a contender. Mm-hmm. Some of the most like iconic and strongest voices mm-hmm. in, yeah, yeah. in those genres um, and like performance styles. Jim Steinman really isn't that strong a singer or a performer. Like, um, I think, you know, he he sounds kind of reedy and thin by comparison. He really doesn't hit that high note in whatever it is. The first bridge, the third bridge, however many fucking bridges there are. Yes, one of the yeah. bridges. But he, you know, he may not hit it, but by God, does he own it? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's kind of a testament to both this song uh, and I think him as a performer and like the guy that he is, the it's so much weaker, it still stands out. Like mm-hmm. he he may not deliver talent or skill or, or strength, but on like sheer bombast and mm-hmm. scale and progression and the paces through which he puts himself yeah, yeah. without breaking stride even slightly. Yeah, fucking delivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I I think uh, I think I agree, but it is a kind of a yes with a but in a way, isn't it? Mm. Um, because I I think the this was written originally with Meatloaf in mind, and the fact that Meatloaf isn't on it I is in a way an obvious um, it's it's an obvious step down in a way because yeah. Meatloaf's a great vocalist, and unfortunately Jim Steinman isn't. But what the what what this song does that I really like is it really because it's him singing, it really brings out the mall ninja. It really does. Like, oh, you can, yes. <laughs> you can, yeah. I think with Meatloaf, you can really, you can abandon um, uh, your kind of, not your sensibilities, but your, your um, what's the word? Principles. Uh, <laughs> principles. <laughs> no, not quite. Dignity. You can, <laughs> or poor Meatloaf. Um, you can really, you can, yeah, let go of your inhibitions or your, your expectations yeah. of you know, as he I, is, and does. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think with Jim Steinman, I think he does a—he actually does a good job. But he's because he's not as great a singer. It's almost like you can see, yeah, you don't feel as committed to that kind of constructed world mm. because you can almost—it's—it's it's like seeing the the strings on a puppet in a way. You can see behind the veil in a way a bit more, which isn't an inherently terrible thing because it ends up quite charming and yeah, like, quite like. You can tell that he's a massive nerd, basically, whereas yeah. Meatloaf's ridiculous, but you don't necessarily hear it and think, this is like a dweeby mall ninja who um, who just wants to wear a, a leather duster. You can just really yeah. embrace that world. Because um, Meatloaf's that, like, a performer. Yes, exactly. And it's, that's the difference. Um, that is the difference. Um, but mm. yeah, so I, I, and again, 
I'm going to quote another critic. Uh, who was it, in fact? I think, you know, this is something Todd Rundgren said. And I think he, mm. so he was producing this album again or helping produce it. And he was playing guitar on it again. And he would said, um, this was actually in relation to the song. Um, this is about the song Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Um, and I think it fits here. Like the, the, the general message of this fits here. Because Rundgren said that he can't imagine Steinman being at a lakeside with the most beautiful girl in school. But he can't imagine Steinman imagining it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, it, in a way, that just sounds like a bit of a dunk. And it, I mean, it kind of is. But at the same time, there's something charming about someone who is able to do that and to not be the singer, the best singer mm. for his own song in a way, but to still sing it himself and to just go balls out on it and just be like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to sing this to my, I'm just going to put all my effort into this. And yeah, yeah, I it's such a charming, weird song that it has all the meatloaf signifiers because it's obviously it's Jim Steinman who was yeah. writing it for meatloaf. But then something at the last stage just it's just it's different enough that you're just like this is totally different. This is just so different. <laughs> I think partly it's the the central aesthetic is very different. Like, you know, Meatloaf is all about that kind of like Americana Gothic, like yes. um, greasy diner in the middle of nowhere where the coolest guys you ever seen go at midnight. Whereas um, this is very kind of um, like 80s heavy metal barbarian guy, like mm -hmm. from the age of uh, Howard and Moorcock um, wearing like a posing pouch and a lot of body oil. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and carrying a tiny tiny sword and swinging it with both hands um <laughs> like and i think the fact that like the aesthetic is different and the fact that that aesthetic is so kind of like fantasy genre wise means that um you almost don't need to believe the conceit yes. because it's all about um it's all about the fantasy not about it being uh like credible and, and sold to you on any kind of like you know realism ticket mm -hmm. um so like i think um yeah the thing with the thing with meatloaf is that what always comes through in like his performances and his career and his music is kind of what comes through every time i like watch jack black as well which is just like you are being hit in the face by like a wall of self-love and you are being given it through the medium that they managed to arrive at that self-love mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. here's the way that performing allowed me to like love myself despite maybe society as like a, a bigger guy or whatever mm -hmm. telling me no like you know th there is nothing lovable about you um and meatloaf and jack black look camera in much the same way and say how about i do anyway yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah and totally. i think i think you can tell with the lyrics of this song the that was ready to come through with meatloaf as well you can tell it was written for meatloaf because that i think is quite central like mm -hmm. you know what's it about it's about not just radical acceptance of yourself as the aforementioned like 
oiled up posing pouch barbarian that uh, <laughs> is, is implied in the lyrics of the song, but about forcing everyone else to accept you as that as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> Regardless of whether you are literally that or not. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and like back to the, the, to the lyrics, again, it, it's not the exact same point you're making, but the, the, the way that I feel that he kind of constructs a song around these really strange turns of phrase, um, you know, bad for good, he's saying here that he's going to be bad forever, which, you know, for good. Um, and it's just, it's just such a central... But also conceit. for the better. Yeah, for the better as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you actually look at the, uh, the song titles on this album, you got bad for good. Okay, yeah. Um, mm. There's one that's stark raving love. Uh, out of the, <laughs> out of the frying pan and into the fire, dance in my uh-huh. pants. Uh, mm-hmm. um, like they all, they don't all have like a central metaphor or turn of phrase to them. But there's, they're all doing similar things in that. I, again, how do I phrase it? There's a ridiculous to them, and it's almost Amazing first. What was that? Sorry. You can. The names came first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The names came first. Yeah. Yeah. And. Some of them, because I've not listened to all of these actually. So I, I dance in my pants. You know what? What? What is it's it like going a fucking to? Electric Six song. Yeah. What's it going to be about? Like until you listen to them, you're left guessing in a way. Um, the same with Bat Out of Hell. You wouldn't necessarily think, oh yeah, Bat Out of Hell. That's that's going to be the song that it is, and it's a weird point to make it away. But yeah, it's just the central ridiculousness of it isn't necessarily obvious in a way even though like once you've listened to it it is i think that's the beauty of it yeah. is the way the, the the visual aesthetic fits with the song names and the aesthetic of meatloaf let's say as a performer they're signaling lots of things very strongly but it's not until you get to the music mm. that you realize what it is i think it basically it's just incredibly messy and it's incredibly insane and all over the place but it works so that's basically what i'm saying um, yeah, like, um, you know, it, it doesn't, the reason I went so in-depth with the lyrics of uh, Bad Out of Hell is that it's the most coherent one, lyrically, on this yeah. list, yeah. whereas this one, it has uh, a vibe, sure, mm-hmm. it has kind of, it has momentum, absolutely, like it's going in a direction and it's going mm-hmm. there hard, but it zigzags all over the fucking place on the way see, there, yeah. like, um, you know, it, it's got what, like two, three bridges, one after the other. It's got a bridge made of bridges. <laughs> um, Yo, dog. And, um, yeah, <laughs> we put a bridge in your bridge so you can bridge while you bridge. Yeah, um, yeah, and it, it also kind of it feels as well like he's he's kind of not just pulling out all the stops, but he's also trying to like showcase his versatility as an artist in the sense that Mm -hmm. this goes from like power pop or no it goes from like um that almost like what the opening reminds me of is uh the kind of like rollicking energy that comes from the riff in the trooper by iron maiden yeah yeah, Um, i get you and it starts out kind of like that but obviously a bit uh a bit pulpier Mm mm-hmm like imagine being pulpier than Iron Maiden. Um, <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then kind of it goes through like power pop, and then I think at the end, after the after the bridges, um, 
it maybe goes like more metal than I've really heard him go before and also yeah. sexier than I've really heard him <laughs> go before. Like it's got an almost like squelchy, funky rhythm to it after those yeah, yeah. bridges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's and so he's, he's really like doing all the things yes, and yeah, taking yeah. them all to 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he totally does in this song. And I, I actually, because I, I didn't, I had never listened to this until you suggested we put it on the playlist. So I definitely need to listen to the whole album. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm slightly scared. Like, but I, I know it's one of those things. Like, am I worried it won't live up to this, or am I worried it will? <laughs> where do you go from here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Do we need a follow-up um, episode where we just listen to this whole fucking album? We could do that as a as a sort of like a live reaction. <laughs> um, yeah. Whilst if you ever set up a Patreon, yeah, then this yeah. can be like a bonus bit of content. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we can move now on to Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler uh, from the album Faster Than the Speed of Light, which is 1983, so it was a couple of years after this. This song is... This song is actually an, it's actually less all over the place. I think it's you know generically speaking, it's it's kind of more unified than I think either of them so far. It's very yeah. straightforwardly eighties power ballad, isn't it? There's there's no. Yeah, it's it's quite a tight pop song. Yes, yeah, yeah. In spite of the fact that it's seven minutes long, it's it still manages to be quite tight. Um, yeah, and so he wrote this. With did he write this with anyone? I just want to make a check. Nope, nope. It was just him for Bonnie Tyler. Yep. So he didn't write it for Meatloaf originally or anything like that. And everyone knows this song. I think this is potentially one of his most famous. Bat Out of Hell is obviously incredibly mm. famous, but this is probably more. I think if you ask a random person if they knew this song, I think more people would say they know this than Bat Out of Hell. But potentially, I don't know. I guess and... if you're our age as well. Uh... Yeah. Uh, if you're our age, then. In the Dark of the Night from the Anastasia soundtrack might might also yes yeah that's true yeah ping yeah, something that's... inside you <laughs> I didn't know that that was him until I, I started like studying up for this play, for this uh, podcast yeah yeah and my life will never be the same now that I do know that <laughs> yeah yeah no I never knew either um, but this this song but you immediately can tell yeah oh yeah as, you can as as but again because it, it's his it, it's his shtick um not to say i mean everyone has a shtick actually so i'm not, I'm not trying to say mm. it, it in a bad way that he's one-dimensional but everyone it doesn't matter at the end of the day who you are actually i think everyone always has a very signature shtick and actually i was listening to this playlist and karen i don't think knew that this was written by jim steinman she was like this song is actually very meatloafy isn't it i was like well well um therein lies a tale <laughs> um so this song is again fantastic it's it's actually brilliant it's it's much less rock than the previous two mm. and it's much less americana i think this one is really yeah. just gothic 80s power ballad it's still the gothic thing is always central um yeah. but yeah it's it's not american in the same way but it is incredibly it's, it's almost... 80s it's almost quite British in terms of like, I think what I would compare it to immediately is things like Tears for Fears. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. It's quite um, a new wave. Yes, it does have that vibe. Um, and I think that's helped slightly, well, largely. Well, I guess it was an 80s thing generally. The, um, 
So the big change, I guess, from the other two songs into this one is the drum sound, which is like 80s mm. gated drum sound. So for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, gated drum basically is a gate, a noise gate that you if, is a, a kind of a you call it an effect, I guess, that you can add to a recording. That means that anything below a certain level of noise is cut off. Um, so it's it's just cutting off all the the quieter bits. So it's also heavily reverbed, but it means that the reverb dies down quite quickly. Um, mm. That's kind of a very simplistic way to to phrase it. But basically, it's a very, it's it was first done in the late seventies on a Peter Gabriel album. As far as I know, accidentally they were just fiddling with things and heard the drum sound. They thought this sounds fantastic. We're going to roll with this, and then it just became the thing that everyone did for about ten years. Everyone did it. Yeah, um, and it's the big... sound of the eighties in in drums. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. if you listen to Prince. You've heard gated reverb. If you've listened to like new wave music, mm -hmm. you've heard gated reverb. Mm -hmm. If you've listened to like any eighties goth, you've heard gated reverb. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it definitely fell out of favor for a bit as well, but it has come back to some degree again. Mm -hmm. As a, again, it's an eighties signifier, um, so that's kind of what it is. But the song itself. Well, what, what what do you think of the song? I'm pretty sure you love the song. <laughs> Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I think I I would question you if you don't. Um <laughs> like I I think yes, it's interesting in that it is quite a departure from the other songs and I think that's why we like not I think that's part of why we agreed on it. Uh you know, because you know, it it should be here by its own merit. I think it's it's absolutely like one of his magnum opuses and i will mm -hmm. like uh i will qualify that a tiny bit by saying i think every single song at least the first three songs that i listened to um on on this uh, playlist for this episode i i sat after listening to it and thought that's it that's his fucking magnum opus <laughs> but when you're doing that for every single like one of his really big ones that everyone knows you kind of start to realize that like maybe that's another part of his like no albums only hits thing which is that like he doesn't have an oeuvre he just has like a collection of magnums opus <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but this is very this is very distinct from the others in that yeah it's, it's him doing pop and doing quite a distinct kind of pop mm -hmm. from the others and despite the fact that it's like similar in length to uh Bat of hell and to um bad for good um it feels like a like a three minute 40 second pop song mm -hmm. um just big because yes. um, <laughs> it's it's structurally not that complex you know mm -hmm. it's got it's got one bridge and it's a fucking enormous like choral operatic feeling like synth organ bridge and it's mm -hmm. fucking great and i love it Mm -hmm. but it's not as kind of um complex or like tiered mm -hmm. or, or directional as the bridges in the other songs for instance yes yeah, yeah. i feel um, every 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 part feels like a variation on a theme unlike yeah. but out of hell where they'll come in a certain part will come in and you're just like that is totally different it still fits mm. but it fits through contrast and through like thematic yeah. Uh, congruence rather than a variation on the theme, which I think this is doing much more. Yeah, um, this is ABCB. This is him yes. doing ABCB. Yeah. Whereas 
like Battle of Hell, for instance, I think the the structure comes from like light motif, mm-hmm. not um not just trotting out the chorus again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes. Um, so I was going to say I'll talk about the music in a second, but again, lyrically, mm-hmm. total eclipse of the heart. What does that mean? It's just it just sounds cool. Like <laughs> no one knows what it means. I just feel like it's he, provocative. He, yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of like I feel like maybe he must have just. To me, in my mind, he goes out drinking with people, and he's got a napkin. And he just writes like words down, and they're mm. just like, "Oh, that's cool." And then he just puts it in his pocket, and the next day he writes songs about them. In a way, that's kind of what I imagine because that's the mm. vibe sometimes of of these like turns of phrases. But anyway, musically, it's not super complex, but it just changes keys even throughout that kind of very very long verse that it has in quite like not necessarily super unusual ways. But basically, it starts in B flat minor. And it doesn't take very long for it to get to. Does it get to E major? Um, yeah, so it doesn't take very long for it to get to E major from there, which is basically a tritone apart. Now, basically, put it simply, tri. What tri- if some, basically, it's it's an interval, um, a musical interval, mm. and B flat minor and E flat major. Sorry, B flat minor and E major are not in the same key. And the the tritone, put it to put it simply, is essentially the most like dissonant uh, interval. So like Black Sabbath use it a lot to make it sound, you know, dark, make music evil. sound dark and evil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and he basically is just that... gets he basically sorry, I was just gonna say he gets there just through just these slightly unusual key changes that I think if you're not cognizant of what the the kind of the chords are, you basically just feel these these feel as these little twists and turns and this sudden like lift and the way it works mm. with the the uh, the male backing vocalist saying turn around constantly um you'll just feel that lift and i think there's a few moments where the key change comes in once you hear this big snare um and it's they're, they're not massively innov- like innovative or crazy key changes um mm. but there's a certain jumpiness to them that they just suddenly turn and it's almost like a it's a bit whiplashy and that they just suddenly yeah and you i think you really hear that um and i think it's a really nice development through the through the verses it feels kind of like um is it like the i hesitate to call it a jingle but like the thx thing that goes like oh right yeah yeah yeah. it feels like a sort of upward lurch in both like you know uh pitch and energy and scale yes, um, yeah. it kind and of it, multiplies itself as it goes up but quite quite discordantly and and, and weirdly yes yeah, yeah. It's, it's if i almost describe these kind of key chains as like a bit lumpy they just so someone like and obviously i have to get the mention in for the beach boys in every episode so i'm going to do it here someone <laughs> like brian wilson would do a key change in like a very subtle way and there'd be leading voices that would probably suggest it before it comes in and then it would very smoothly transition and it's not until you look at the chord chart that you realize you've listened to a two minute song with 27 chords and you're just like what it just sounded it just sounded like there were three chords or something whereas a what i call like a lumpy key change which this song does a lot it just does it it's just yeah we're just gonna go from this yeah. chord to this chord which poof, just like it's not necessarily directly linked in terms of being in the same key but it just goes from um yeah it just we're just gonna go to that new chord that's that's where we are now and it, you just feel like a sudden lurching forwards of like tone and pitch um and it really works through this really extended verse in this song because the verse goes on for quite mm. a bit 
until it gets to the release of the chorus. And the chorus is essentially just, you know, the, uh, the four chords. And there are tons of, you, have you seen, you know... Um, oh, yeah, the, the, the four chords. The, the famous yeah, four yeah, chords, absolutely. yeah. And there are videos of people doing medleys of all the songs that have the four chords. It's, it just kind of lurches through this really long verse, through these kind of lumpy, and that's not a disparaging term, key changes into the release of like the most cliched chord progression in popular music. And again, I'm, I don't use cliched as a, as a negative statement, just as a simple fact. It's like brutally effective. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's brutally <laughs> effective. That's the, I mean, Jim Steinman, like, there's a re- brutally effective. <laughs> you may not approve of his methods. They're not subtle, but by God, he gets the job done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so what were you going to say? What was I going to say? Um, yeah, yeah. Like, I think um, I, was, I was just going to say that there's a reason that the four chords are the four chords that are used so prolifically mm-hmm. and to such like great effect throughout mm-hmm. our fucking work. They mm-hmm. do things to you. Um, and like, while you may not know what emotions are on display here and what you're being told to feel, fuck, do you feel it? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. I, Whatever I, I totally it is. <laughs> and I, I guess, the use of cliche, we've already said it lyrically, you know, you can go through uh, Bat Out of Hell and every line is a cliche. Mm. If it's not like a literal cliche that is common in, you know, the English language, it, it feels like a cliche. And it, again, the use of cliche musically in what he does. It's, it's the, the question of what a cliche is and what cheesy is, is always interesting to me because mm. I kind of feel like in a way, everything is a cliche. But it's interesting that we can notice that certain things are cliched. And to me, I always think, like, what, what is music? How, how can we distinguish cheesy music from non-cheesy music? Because I think all music can easily be accused of being cheesy. But it's, we can if still... it's pop music, it's cheesy by default, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's mass culture. It's mm-hmm. mass appeal. There's, yeah, a, yeah. there's a little bit of that baked in. Yeah, yeah, true. But I, I, guess, I guess what I'm trying to do here is defend... Uh, the likes of Jim, St- Jim Steinman, who is obviously mm. cheesy in, a, in an immediate way, but and is very uncool in an immediate way. But I guess I, I, I guess I would push back against people who do just want to dismiss him as those things by saying like, well, what isn't cliched and what isn't cheesy and how? Mm. And for me personally, I like the way that he embraces these things and turns it into a virtue rather than an actual issue, I guess, is what I would say. Yeah. And I think um, often artists who are trying to be quite original or who are trying to be whatever the opposite of cheesy is, I don't know if there's a word for it. It's just like a sliding scale towards a vanishing point. Mm-hmm. Um, artists who are trying to do that are often the ones that end up feeling really dated about five years later. I, I think that kind of happens to all music that's doing something unique and doing something interesting. The difference is whether that music embraced it at the time or not. And Jim Steinman, like for instance, with, with this, which is like you know the quintessential 80s power ballad for me at least, um, it embraced it at the time. And as yeah. such, it can be seen unabashedly of like being of its time Mm -hmm. now and it doesn't lose anything in that in that transfer 
Yes, yeah. The question of like uh, dated music as well is always interesting because it's so often used as an insult, but like mm. that's why we read books. That's that's why we engage with art because things are products of their time, right? It's it's yeah. I, I, it's interesting the dynamic there because obviously you can listen to something and think it is dated legitimately in a bad way because it sounds overly cliched or it has dated poorly specifically or this this you know if we're talking about a piece of music you know the recording may have advanced to such a degree that some things from the 60s for example do unfortunately just sound a bit bad and like the mm. low fidelity of it gets in the way or whatever but the the datedness of total eclipse of the heart works completely for me and i'm sure for a lot of people completely in its favor because you're listening to it because it is one of the best representatives of yeah. gz 80s power ballad pop and for it to not embrace that and to not be that to you know the nth degree would not be as good i think <laughs> mm. yeah yeah like i think um i think there's there's a lot of that um there's a lot to be said for for that but also i think it it can become after a while a matter of distance mm -hmm. like the reason that the xx feel kind of cringe for me now is that i lived through it the first time round, right, and it yeah. hasn't been long enough for it to feel nostalgic yet yes yeah, whereas yeah. for us um you know we we didn't see the 80s we certainly didn't see that part of the 80s and so i think for our generation it's always been nostalgic mm -hmm. um whereas uh i think there's there's a little bit of of a transition going on at the moment in um in pop music today and in in fashion um and and trends in nostalgia where kind of the generation that is now younger than us i feel incredibly old that there is one yeah. um are finding nostalgia in the, the pop culture and the fashion and the music of the early noughties, mm -hmm. which for us is like an unspeakable sort of anathema of a time that we don't yeah. talk about and we don't remember. Yeah, yeah. And so like, there's a lot of um, kind of uh, gestures to whether like, you know, uh, noughties boy and girl group pop in, in contemporary pop music. There's also a lot of like gestures uh, often in quite unexpected, like pop music contexts, to things like new metal. Mm, my relationship to to pop culture and pop music in general is that some part of me will always be a recovering goth. Right, right, um, okay, yeah. Which is why we're probably gonna end up. Uh, which is probably why the Sisters of Mercy song is in here. Yes, I, I think it's a good. It's a good. <laughs> yeah it's a good point to move on to them now uh, because i don't know them very well at all like i knew this song this is this their biggest song i feel like it might be the biggest songs i would say yeah all of which are jim steinman produced oh right are they all so the bigger ones are jim steinman produced are they all of this album so the song is dominion slash mother russia from the album floodland uh, from 1987 <laughs> So uh, is is this like their biggest album then? I I think for a lot of people, yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's probably the most sisters sounding album. And mm -hmm. for a lot of people, I think it's the point at which they started really sounding like themselves. 
Right. Like they they were a lot more kind of um, uh, DIY post punk sounding before this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their drum machine sounded much more like a drum machine. Right, um, right. Whereas in this, it sounds very robotic. That's that's a token part of their of their style and aesthetic. Um, I, I would argue that Doctor Avalanche, that is the drum machine, is arguably the most important and talented and consistent member of the band. Um, but um, they they sounded shallower um, mm-hmm. before. Whereas I think for people who um, for people who love the Sisters of Mercy, but not necessarily um, in the sense that they love all of their albums equally and have loved the trajectory of their um, their career because they, they got really shit. Um, <laughs> oh, did they? Bloodland is kind of where it's at. Um, and it's, it's the one that defines their sound for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely projecting here. Um, a lot of what I just said is is how me generalizing how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that's how um, how a number of other people that I've certainly spoken to as well and um, gotten drunk and ended up bonding over Sisters of Mercy with in mm-hmm. the past have, have felt mm-hmm. as well. Um, Dominion, yeah, I could have easily chosen any of the um, the other songs which uh which do this this vibe really well as well which just for the record are this corrosion and lucretia my reflection um they sound almost identical to this one they have almost the same time signature i think (laughs) um the while dr avalanche is arguably the most important member of the band he's like Rhythm vocabulary is very limited. Um, <laughs> that's kind of one of the strongest things about Sisters of Mercy, to be honest, because they do one thing and they do it very well and very hard for about uh, how how long is this song? Uh, seven minutes. Like, yeah, uh, for seven fucking minutes. Yeah, yeah. That's partly why I wanted to bring this song in, um, mm. because it's... I think it's quite an interesting foil to the mm-hmm. other ones. Um, all the other ones um, that we've spoken about so far have been really kind of not multifaceted but multi-leveled. They, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they have the the layers and the sense of kind of like zigzagging and weird bridges and things that we've, mm-hmm. we've spoken about. This song is literally two fucking songs in one track, and yet it's still the most one note of the the entire kind of selection of songs that we've spoken spoken about so far, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It does one thing, and it does it harder and harder progressively for seven fucking minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was gonna say, in a way, that remind it, it kind of listened to it. It felt like it was a blues medley in a way because you can do a blues medley oh. of a hundred songs and not change your chord progression the, the backing band could all play the exact same thing for 20 minutes and you could sing a bunch of songs over it um and in a way like it's it's not bluesy in a way but it's it has that link with it that you can have two songs in one and you the only reason you can really tell the difference is because the lyrics are changing and the way he's singing it is a bit different 
Um, and yeah, it's otherwise not bluesy. At, it's not bluesy at all, really, is it? It's it's, and I think the build up though is a good point because I think I've not I've tried to listen. I think I've probably listened to this song a few times previously, other than beyond probably just with me recently. And I think I really did struggle to get past past the first bit because I am not a fan of the gated drum sound when it's really that obvious straight away. But by the end of the song, it sounds brilliant. Like everything builds. Yes. <laughs> so, well, but at the start, it, it just it does put me off. It, even like now, I'm used to it. I can get into it. But I think mm. previously, because to me, the, the gated drum sound, even though it works well in certain songs, if it's too much there, I'm just like, oh, that is very tacky. Um, and that, that works as part of the whole and tacky isn't necessarily I'm something inherently bothered with but yeah the drums are so big that it's just like yeah. wow they're right there um, but you're right yeah you're right it does build up brilliantly and it does become much better than I think I unfairly assumed many times when I previously listened to it mm -hmm. um, but so was this like a single was it a hit or was it just like a I, big I album I think it was a top 40 hit yeah 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 I mean, certainly, certainly this corrosion was mm -hmm. um, and this kind of era of the Sisters of Mercy, they were huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, cool. I didn't because. <coughs> yeah, I assumed. Was, was it was it the full version or I assume there might have been a radio edit, which is a common thing throughout all the songs we've talked about so far, actually. Um, yeah, I think there is um, as as a single, I think there was. Um, possibly just Dominion released. Right. Uh, so that not the Mother Russia part. Mm -hmm. And it has a music video, which is great, and you should watch it. Uh, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. It's Andrew Eldritch, who's the front man, lead singer, founding member of the Sisters of Mercy, who sucks now. Um, and you you shouldn't you shouldn't pay many attention okay. uh, between sort of you know 15 years ago and today. Um, it's it's him fantastic like uh white linen suit with a stick and kind of being equal parts like freddie mercury and david bowie okay, uh, yeah. but goth edition in yeah, yeah. like what looks like the set of raiders of the lost ark mm -hmm. um and i i fucking love it that um that i think is representative of the the version of this song that was a hit mm -hmm. um so it's really just like the first half of the song, but it still it still builds. It yes, still yeah, has you know, that that build and trajectory. Yeah, because the I second it's, song, it's done a lot of its um, building by the time you get halfway through. I'm not saying it yeah. doesn't then build more, and like the change in lyrics and stuff is progression as well. But a lot of the building has already come in halfway through. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dominion has the sax solo, which is obviously really important. Yeah, because. Yeah. I don't know if you know this about me, but I love us an 80s sax solo. <laughs> um, and this one is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, 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 well, it's goth, it's cheesy in a gothic way. It's not cheesy in the, the typical 80s way. It's not that kind. Of, do you know what I mean? There's a different, yeah. it's a different side of the 80s. And it's kind of cool. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and, I I think it's one of those tracks that once I listen to it more, I realize like it's actually a much more interesting use of that gated drum sound that builds throughout it, rather than it just being, rather than them just using it because that's what everyone in the eighties yeah. did. Like that's not what's happening. It's part of the soundscape. And once you get to the end, it sounds much more organic. It's still clear that it's mm. it's like 
electronic, but it sounds more organic as part of the whole. Yeah, and I think they, they do sounds... that really well. Sorry. Um, yeah, it sounds um, while it is like I think very deliberately and very self-consciously a drum machine being a drum machine, mm-hmm. um, and the the automated, relentless, like always on beatness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the inorganicism is kind of like pretty pretty foregrounded. It does still sound like things that a live drum player in like you know a, a heavy rock group or whatever would do. So it's got that like galloping double kick to it. Mm-hmm. I think. Yep. Um, it's it's got what like two sounds. It's got a double kick and a snare, mm-hmm. and it yeah. does a great thing with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I don't know to to what degree what it was exactly Jim Steinman was adding because I don't necessarily know what their previous or different albums <laughs> sounded like. Is is there a huge mm-hmm. difference between this and albums either side? I guess. Yeah, I would say um, kind of the big the big hallmark of Jim Steinman's work with the Sisters of Mercy is that like massive oversampling of voices. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Like you know he he didn't. I don't think he hired choirs for this. He literally just sampled and sampled and sampled the voices of two members of the band over and over again until it sort of creates this like layered wall of sound thing that they have mm-hmm. going on. Um, and even even just the lead vocals, when when that sort of choral backing vocals thing isn't on, even the lead vocals are, I think, um, sampled twice. Right. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't sound great when he's just one voice um and so i think that thing um that is is pretty quintessential to the sisters of mercy sound i think only came in with jim steinman or definitely came into its own with jim steinman that would that would make sorry i was just gonna say that would i think that would make sense because it's probably part of the phil specter link that kind of Mm. double tracking things and getting that like wall of sound and um yeah, yeah. It's obviously it's, a lot. It's in there a lot with Meatloaf as well. Yeah. Meatloaf, his voice stands alone a lot more, but there's still those kind of choral backing singers. But you can see, I can see the kind of common threads, I guess, through that and the production. Yeah. Even though it's, you know, you got really rock and roll type music with Meatloaf, and then you've got very kind of glossier, but still gothic power pop of uh, Bonnie Tyler. There's a common theme going through to this, which is mm. obviously a lot more goth and darker. And less cartoonish, I guess you'd say. There's still it's still yeah. campy in a way, but it's not any in any way the same kind of way that you hear in Meatloaf. So would you is this I don't know much about the Sisters of Mercy, but it f- feels more serious, I guess, than Meatloaf. Like is it is is Andrew Eldritch? And I don't know like it like so he's called Andrew Eldritch. That's clearly not his birth name. But like is he a bit more and I don't say this as an insult necessarily, but he feels he might be a bit more po faced about his art than say Jim Steinman is with Meatloaf, or am I missing something here? Is there still like? So I think he's actually quite a good uh, a good parallel to Jim Steinman in the sense mm. that they both have that quality, either being the most serious or the least serious about the things that they make and do. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you can you can watch the video to Dominion where. Andrew Eldritch is like sauntering and capering around and you can't tell whether he thinks he's the coolest person to have ever lived or whether he knows he's a nerd. Yeah. Um, and that 
is kind of more charming than it being one or the other. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and more kind of enticing in the same way that Jim Steinman is. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I couldn't tell you. I feel like the Sisters of Mercy know, at least by this point, that they're they're a little bit silly, mm-hmm. but they're also incredibly serious about how silly they are and the kind yes. of serious they are. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good tag for this episode because it, it, it fits <laughs> with Jim Steinman as well. It's like Jim Steinman seriously silly or wait, what would what would I say? How do we sum that up? <laughs> Sincerely silly or. Stupidly sincere. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. But it, it yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's he's almost he's like he could be Jim Steinman's cousin. Who it's <laughs> it's like in it's always sunny in Philadelphia with Country Mac. Um, yeah, it's kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. British this is Jim, British Stein- Jim Steinman. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this is Leeds Jim Steinman. Yeah, yeah. Is that where they're from? Are they from Leeds? Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's why the Mountain Goats did this whole big album about um, basically as as an homage to the Sisters of Mercy and um, the the leading single off that album, the album being Goths, obviously, um, was called Andrew Eldritch's Moving Back. And I actually went to see them live in Leeds when they were touring for that album and Leeds fucking ate it up. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> Leeds... Uh, the Sisters of Mercy loom really big in uh, the Leeds music scene's like popular imagination, yes, or at yeah. least like among people who are goths above a certain age mm-hmm. and yeah. from Leeds. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that group of people seems also to be like quite a close uh, cross section with people who also now like the Mountain Goats. Right, right. <laughs> so people seem to really go for that. Yeah, so I, I, I feel like from Leeds. I, I'm really curious, like, if you got that kind of subsection of people, like British goths who are just just Sisters of Mercy fans, do they tend to be Meatloaf fans? Does it? And I wonder if Meatloaf fans more broadly would tend to be Sisters of Mercy fans because they're they're similar enough in spirit in many ways, whilst actually being quite different. Certainly demographically, they're one of those things like mm. they're quite separate demographics of you could imagine to be big fans of either of them? So I think I know five people who really like the Sisters of Mercy. Mm-hmm. Four of them also love Meatloaf. Okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah, right. So yeah, it's the same demographic. That's that's a, that's enough of a representative sample. Yeah. With that. <laughs> and does the fifth person, are they not first or do they hate Meatloaf or is it you just don't know? Uh, I, I think... I think they find him too silly to really get on board with. Mm-hmm. And they're not, they're not an enormously serious person. Mm-hmm. He's just a, a kind of silly that they don't find enjoyable or rewarding. I yes. Guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they don't quite get the appeal. Yeah, I, I get, I, that's fair enough. I guess we'll probably wrap up soon, but there, there is something there, isn't there, that they're both, there's a silliness to Andrew Eldritch or the Sisters of Mercy. And there's an obvious silliness to Jim mm. Steinman's other stuff and Meatloaf specifically, but I'm trying to work out what is that difference. I was going to say flamboyance, but it's it's more loudness, I guess. It's like being loudly yeah. flamboyant. Is is that probably the best way to say it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of there's a confidence to it, isn't it? 
like a loudness and a proudness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's also like an element of them having in mind an extremely narrow and extremely specific idea of cool mm-hmm. and just gunning for it with absolute laser focus mm-hmm. and the different ideas of cool are very distinct yes that's right? true yeah, yeah but they are but they do both care unapop- they b- both do share the um the leather duster yeah they're both a bit leather duster yeah <laughs> sorry what were you saying uh, yeah no i was uh what was i gonna say um so to me the sisters of mercy feel a bit more actually cool than pastiche cool Mm -hmm. but at the same time the definition of cool is still a bit ridiculous Mm -hmm. and i think there's still a degree of recognizing that and nevertheless you know rocket fueling yourself towards the event horizon of that idea of cool (laughs) um (laughs) i like that and and to me yeah to me dominion slash mother russia of all of the kind of three big sisters of mercy songs that um jim steinman produced uh they feel um sorry dominion slash mother russia feels the most on the money for that particular kind of cool that Mm -hmm. they are that they are going for partly because of the music video the music video will really like tell you what i mean (laughs) <laughs> right, I need. To, I'm gonna have to watch it, and I'll. But I think that's a good place for us to wrap up. I think yeah. I think we've covered some very broad ground there, um, and I I'm, don't I'm feel really... I've necessarily come to a conclusion though about Jim Steinman. I'm I'm still not. Yeah, I'm still circling. I was gonna say circling the drain. That's not right. That sounds bad. <laughs> I'm still. I'm still kind of. Um, it's. I still. It's, there's an ineffable kind of central conceit to what he does that I'm just yeah. always and I think that's why it always sounds fresh to me and actually I'm, I'm definitely coming around to the Sisters of Mercy and, and feeling it the same like the few the, the times I've listened to it over the last few weeks I'm, I'm listening to it again I'm like there is yeah there's something about this which is just like what is it it's cool and weird and interesting and it it's more than the sum of its parts which I think yeah as someone who was previously listened to it not really knowing the entire song you can't hear the sum of its parts until you've heard a song in its entirety sometimes. Yeah. And just hearing the gated drums can be a bit like, whoa, it's a bit too much for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm coming around to that. So uh, there's, there's some songs it. that you could hear 10, 10 seconds of, a minute of, and be like, that's fucking great. That's an extremely mm-hmm. cool song. I love it. Um, the Sisters of Mercy, I think, do songs where you need to listen to the whole thing in order to really get it and maybe you need to listen to it a few times maybe you need a friend who every time they have a few drinks puts on sisters of mercy and sits you down and forces you to fucking listen to it whether you like it or not (laughs) you'll come round to it they convert you (laughs) and you are that friend thank you i am that friend (laughs) Uh, that's that's a good place for us to start uh to stop so thank you very much james for your time and anyone who's listening you might be listening to me on spotify or whatever but Please find me on YouTube, Big Yellow Praxis. Give me a like and a subscribe. And, you know, if you, if you like my stuff, please share it because, you know, every little helps. Um, but thank you very much, James. Um, that was very... You are welcome. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Very, I was going to say it's very enlightening, but again, I'm not sure what, if I'm enlightened or... <laughs>